that makes them touchable and real. When anyone speaks about Allen Iverson, that's exactly what they say. He's real. So AI, I need you to know this. I watched you with all because I saw a reflection of myself in you. The way you played the game was exciting and fearless. It didn't matter who they put in front of you. They wasn't going to stop you. Shit, I know. I tried. It didn't matter what they said about you because they couldn't measure the size of your heart. Your authenticity and unapologetic attitude it resonated with me. Your swagger, unique style for rocking do-rags, braids, the baggy shorts, to the untucked jerseys, the earrings, the chains, the throwback jerseys. It all combined to create an image that broke the mold. You challenged conventional norms and became the poster child for individuality and self-expression, inspiring countless individuals to embrace their own uniqueness. You brought hope to those who grew up with limited resources. You showed us that success and greatness were attainable, even in the face of adversity. Your struggles made your accomplishments that much more remarkable. AI, you are a living, breathing reminder that redemption and growth are possible. You inspired a generation, my damn self included, to believe that coming from nothing was not a limitation, but motivation. I wore an arm sleeve throughout my career because AI did. Respectfully, water number three throughout my college and NBA career to represent the love and the respect that I have for this man. So from the bottom of my heart, you are the culture, and we love you, and we thank you, Allen Iverson. Join me on stage as we take our rightful step into basketball heaven. This one right here, this one is for my father. I love you and I'm thankful for you. I love you too, man. We're in the Hall of Fame, dog.
couple days. Yeah. Listen to Big Show. Okay, praise nigga. This for my baby who coming over to bust it open. Who get a Uber but really deserve a dozen roses. Who got her hair done and didn't think I even noticed. She just happy she chose it. But she the one who chose me, that's what's more important. I give her more game than problems. She love high culture. Under unrealistic measures is the only way you can measure who's chosen. I realize my mind frame is too big for the portrait. That's why I'm steady trying to teach the whole hood corporate. I'm psychedelic while the psychic trying to read my fortune. But I don't know her too much of anything could be a torture. Yeah. She like, you supposed to meet my parents, you know that's important. How narcissistic you think I am? You think I did when I didn't? You think I paid for everything and didn't pay attention like my head is as big as my name? Just tell a real nigga once, baby, never again. And I put you and all my loved ones on like it's my only obligation. I made all they solid wins a loud proclamation. A little pressure and a lot of patience. They tell me you amazing, I say no, God amazing. Look at all the souls I made. Look at all the O's I made. Oh shit! I had to let the beat ride on these niggas for a minute, man. This your boy, this your motherfucking boy. All points bulletin. E pluribus unum. King no nonsense, niggas. Hey yo! We got new music Fridays. Hall of Fame. We got a double dose of ferocious pistols, ferocious, whatever the fuck corrupt said, right? Hey yo! We got a good show for y'all today, and I'm gonna try to make it as entertaining as possible, as long as well as informational. The Phoenix Suns, the Phoenix Suns, are retiring. The Matrix, Sean Marion, and Amari Stoudemire's jerseys next season. Shout out to them, man, because they definitely made the Phoenix Suns go just as well as. Steve Nash did. But they were pivotal pieces to the success, the regular season success, I should say, of the Phoenix Suns in those late 2000s. You know what I'm saying? The Matrix did it on both ends of the court. Had an MVP caliber season two one year. The same year that Nash won. I felt like Marion should have won over him low-key. And Amari Stoudemire, that pick and roll, that Nash and Stoudemire pick and roll was something serious, man. Congrats to both of those guys. Aw, Melly Mel took a L. More L's than his motherfucking name. So he apologized to Eminem. Aw, I'm not going to read the whole entire thing. It's a long statement he's not worthy of such so all I'm going to tell you is you mess with the bull you get the horns beat nigga apologize I apologize nigga apologize for the skin color comment apologize for battling him and he appreciated that Eminem thanked him in his Hall of Fame speech. He was like, I'm sorry, man. 
He did that young buck shit. 50, I'm sorry. I was just confused. <laughs> this, this old pussy nigga apologized. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Y'all niggas gonna learn, man. Y'all niggas is gonna learn to come after that white motherfucker, man. <laughs> I bet you IV must have seen Nick sent niggas at him or something, dog, to make him fold like this. I'm like, you had not only the worst diss song of all time, you need to apologize for that, first of all, nigga. Because I have this conversation with my cousin all the fucking time. And you know what we what we always say about old ass legends, right? If you're an old ass legend and you come back out of retirement, that shit better be as good as your other shit. Cause if it's not good, then your broke your broke old ass need to retire. You underdig me? You know what I'm saying? Like this is a this is a pretty bad look on hip hop, baby. It's 50 years of hip hop and you acting like a child. <laughs> That was childish, man. Like I said, hate it or love it, right? Hate Eminem or love Eminem, right? He still has a respectable legacy. And he's one of the top five rappers to do this. And I said this before, man. Eminem is not number one because of his skin color. Eminem is number not number one because he's not number one. It's no diss. It is what it is. Oh, man, that was just so fucking funny to me. This shit made my week, man. Melly Mel should have titled that diss record 1982. Because, you know, the nigga, you, you saw that old footage of that one nigga from the 50s that looked like little Baby rapping. He had a harder verse than Melly Mel did. James Harden, oh boy. The Philadelphia 76ers have conceded that they cannot trade James Harden. They thrown in the towel as far as making a deal for James Harden. The dude is untradeable according to them because the offers that they were receiving for Harden you know, they wanted, you know, other teams wanted them to include pivotal role players. I would say Tyrese Maxey coughs, right? But James Harden has come out and said that he doesn't want to play for the Philadelphia 76ers and has no plans of participating in training camps. So you're going to hold out like an NFL player, fat boy. I'm going to tell you this. Sherman Clump Harden is going to be back in the building up to his old antics. And it's a shame that we give leverage to people like this who make all this goddamn money. He's set to make $36 million this year. 35.6 if you want to be a, a technical asshole about it. But this is just upsetting, man. This is crazy. Harden just needs... If you didn't want to come back to the 76ers, why did you let Daryl Morey convince you into opting in? 
if you did if you're so hell bent on you know not coming back don't fucking opt into the contract my dude it's just plain and simple I mean, this is a daily reminder. I don't have to tell you this. I mean, uh, all of you that are immersed into rap culture should know this message, but I know I bring this up a lot. I'm going to bring it up again for the slow people. Stop following mainstream publications. Like I saw something, like even Complex has fell off. You know, Complex used to be for the culture. It used to mean something to be mentioned in Complex magazine and on the website. But I saw that, you know, Complex ranked Puff Daddy as the number 48 New York rapper of all time. Really? This is fucking crazy, man. They said, I can name 50 New York rappers that are better than Puff. And Puff had ghostwriters his whole career. I haven't even looked at that list. I'm not even going to entertain that list. Anything that Billboard, Rolling Stone, and them got to offer, I'm going to pass. Because they're not for us. These are people that are not immersed in hip-hop. These are people who do not study hip-hop. They just go by off of what people say instead of doing their own research. They're not hip-hop enthusiasts. So please, do not take these people seriously. Ali from the St. Lunatics. Let's move on here. I've talked about this nigga in the past. You know, when he was bitching, moaning, and complaining about Nelly doing this and that. But I watched some of his Vlad interview. And I was impressed. I mean, I knew Ali flow was in Nelly. But I didn't know that Ali wrote the majority of country grammar though and I believe him too I mean Nelly admits to having help on country grammar Ali described it as a team situation but Ali you could have used some of this material on heavy starch my nigga and the thing is you know him being selfless contributed to him not blowing up like he should in the industry because obviously he was the first person to have like a a mainstream hit out of the crew. Ali was the J-Rock of the St. Lunatics, basically. He launched the group's success in a way. But Nelly Country Grammar obviously put St. Louis on the fucking map. And I could tell, you know, 
I'm a hip hop studier, so I've mastered probably studying Ali, Murphy, Lee, and Nelly's flows. Kiwan, not so much. No disrespect. Didn't hear enough of him to really study their flows. You know, when, when people come out with solo albums, it's kind of easy to like study their style. And I feel like Ali gave up too much of the sauce, man. Too much of the uh, the, the swag away, man. I feel like Tony Yayo when he told 50, you giving game all these records? Nigga, I want a how we do. Ali, you should have got a how we do. Your how we do was Bougetto, bro. And that's crazy. And, and Murphy pretty much like kind of washed you on the record low-key not gonna I'm not gonna hold you I mean I do understand that it's all about being a team player but at some point you got to get the ball and shoot the ball yourself bro but I feel like his personality is just not built for stardom and I can completely understand why he didn't want to be rich and famous. Because it's a lot of pressure behind that. But the interview gives great insight and a great breakdown on how he wrote these songs. I don't think he's capping though. Because he can rap his ass off. I give Ali a lot of credit. The nigga nice. Nelly was, you know, he wrote. He's not taking away and saying that Nelly didn't write a thing, but he co-wrote. He basically said that Nelly could come up with a 16, but he liked to rap it and memorize it, which took a long time. These motherfuckers at these labels want an album now. And a, and a return on their investment, which they got tenfold over there at Universal. But let's get to one of the main events here. All right, so I'm going to uh, probably do the Hall of Fame shit last. Now I got two albums that I'm reviewing. The first one, On Deck. We talked about this a lot last show, and I'm going to bring it up. gonna talk about the boy reason his new album porches a lot of controversy surrounding this album y'all a lot of controversy obviously we spoke on this last week you know he felt like the label didn't clear enough features for the project and reason had to make some adjustments on the fly but the thing is, what I didn't say on the show was Reason has to realize that this is a business. Everybody's not going to be available all the time on your time. I do understand that as a label, they kind of dropped the ball here on some of the uh, features. And, you know, the price was given. So I completely understand where uh, Reason was coming from. 
So let's look at porches, man. Let's get to it. Let's get this money. Let's start off with Faded Off of Poor and Riches featuring London Monet. This is just an intro. Just plain and simple. Alright. Caucasian Estates. Oh boy. This beat was sick. This beat was sick as fuck. And Reason... Reason's flow is so catchy. Like that's one of his best skill sets. Not to mention he's lyrical on top of that. I'm a sucker for lyricism over a dope-ass beat. At It Again was the first single. I think this is a year old, if I'm not mistaken. It might be a year old. But At It Again, very catchy. Dope hook. A Broken Winter Break featuring Kai Lin and Sir. Pretty good. Not complaining. Pretty much an introspective record. There's a lot of these on here. You better Jesus take the wheel. Take the wheel. Yo, this is one of the highlights of the album. This could double as a club record and as a twerking record. Low key. Not going front. This is a single single. I think this is the second single off the album. I definitely enjoyed that record. I mean, to be honest, there's a lot of fucking hits on this album. I see where Reason was coming from with wanting features. Send you to the afterlife. This was so fucking dope. It kind of, it, it's kind of, it kind of sounds like uh, Isaiah Rashad record. I'm not gonna lie. I'm pretty sure he may have drew inspiration from him, or he just followed that blueprint. I mean, Hollywood Cole produced it. He he's produced for Isaiah before, so. I can see the similarities. It's a cool record, don't don't get me wrong though. Call me featuring Junie. This was cool. This was just alright. Probably one of my least favorites. Gang shit. This was cool. I like the story that was told. Can't complain about that one at all. Uh fuck that nigga featuring. Baby Tate and Junie, this was a really good song. This again, this is another song that could be a single in my eyes. This could be a very dope single. Yeah, a lot of chicks would love this record. Not gonna hold you. Gina, August Alsina. Man, this beat is out of here. Again, this is an awesome filler. Like, I like an album that has awesome fillers. And this takes the cake. Too Much, Melly Mel. This was a good record. This was solid. Bussin' WB Part 2 featuring Rayvon. This has the Detroit beat aesthetic. It sounded like they went and searched for a Detroit-style beat. <laughs> Detroit-type beat and just... And just remade the goddamn beat. I'm surprised Boy Wonder was a part of making this beat. He's not He's not usually a guy that makes these type of beats, so shout out to him for being versatile. But this 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 track was okay. This, this shit was cool. Rich, Rich Mirages featuring Flozig. Dope. Definitely like the concept. 
I Don't Trust You featuring Junie and Dochi. Pretty good. Family First featuring Kaylin for real, for real. Hope I uh, pronounced that right. Sir and Zakari. This is my favorite record on the album. I just love the concept. I like the beat. I like the lyrics. I like the bridge. Like everything about this motherfucking song right here. Porch Steps featuring Dirty Dale and Junie. This was cool. Poster Child. This was a pretty good closer. All in all, Reason Porches. I mean, I understand why he wanted certain things on this album because this album is excellent. Is it a classic? I don't think so. But is it a great body of work? Yes. I definitely enjoyed myself. It was a great experience. The production was A1. The lyrics was was A1 as well. And his flow and delivery is pretty much like his best qualities. But could the features that he asked for enhance the album? Yes. A lot of an ESTG feature would have like been the icings on the cake. But Reasons Porches, Reason Porches is an album that I feel like everyone should check out. It's a pretty dope hip-hop album. Let's move on, man. I'm a little bit late to this party. I'm a little bit late. But better late than ever than never at this point. Sorry, I'm slurring my words. I'm a bit tired, so bear with me. But without further ado, we will move on to the next project. Now, this isn't the first father and son duo to come out with a project. But this is a very interesting duo, if you ask me. I mean, I know 38 Special and uh, Cool G Rap was the first to do this shit. To my knowledge, at least, I know I maybe I might be missing missing some people on that. But um, Hit Boy and his father, Big Hit, teamed up to do an album together. Now, Hit Boy released a project earlier this year called Surf or Drown, Volume One. And, you know, it received, I, I, I think I gave that shit a B plus. I think it was a pretty good album, but it could have been better. I feel like it was missing something. And on Surfer Down or Drown 2, maybe he filled in the gap. Maybe he was missing his pops because I think his father had, you know, had just got out, you know, because he was on the intro on the album rapping from what it sounded like a correctional facility call. But around the time it was time to make Surfer Drown Volume 2, Hit Boy had the beats ready to go for his pops and himself. So this father and son duo, let's check out Surfer Drown Volume 2, y'all. Grinding My Whole Life Part 2 is the sequel to a fucking banger. Let me tell you something. Not gonna lie. Big hit, man. He had a cold verse on, on the original version of this track. Grinding my whole life is what we call the original 
is what we call a underground hit. <laughs> pun, no pun intended. But the original with HS87 is a classic. And they do the underground hit justice on part two as Hit Boy and Big Hit go back and forth. And then the beat switches up and it goes crazy. Next up on You Know What's So Funny featuring Big Sean. This motherfucker is a five out of five in my book. These three niggas go ham on this record. I know I and I, I know we ain't used ham in a while, but fuck it, I'm bringing it back. This shit was stupid with it. Sunrise. This is the Hit Boy solo track. This was pretty good. Monte Carlo featuring Dom Kennedy. Man, this record is so fucking cool and laid back. You gotta love it. Vintage West Coast sound. Reckless and Ratchet featuring Big Hit. Big Hit is talking some crazy shit on this record. <laughs> like that nigga is talking crazy. Show me featuring Garrett. Oh man, this is probably one of the best beats on the album. This shit got a bounce to it. It's got a valley feel appeal to it. This is dope. Tony Fontana 4. Yo, I ain't gonna lie. This might be the second best song on the album, right? And the best beat on the album. Excellent song. Police. Uh, this was okay. I expected a little bit more, but I get the concept of the record. Wake Your Game Up. This was okay. More For Me. This was cool. It was okay. Not an excellent record. All in all, Surfer Drown Volume 2 was the ingredient that the original was missing. And it was big hit. And what better ingredient than your own pops? Who has actually improved since the HS87 days? And this is yet another one, another project for a father and son that you can hang on the mantle. Definitely one of the, not only one of the more surprise projects of the year, but definitely one of the best projects released in 2023. And that's a big stamp from, from a nigga like me, who's not easily impressed by nothing. But speaking of impressive, let's move on to the 2023 NBA Basketball Naismith Hall of Fame. Four, well, I'm going to say five. There are five speeches of the Hall of Fame that I watched uh, this morning. And I got my study on and my study up. First nigga up to the table is that dude, Dwayne Wade, who was presented by Allen Iverson. And I knew he looked up to AI, but I didn't know it was that much. I didn't know that AI had so much influence on D-Wade. And I see the influence, 
and I see why he wore the number three. He looked up to AI, which was dope. That's why I played the speech at the beginning of the show. But, you know, it seems like his mother did what Trey Mama did in Boys in the Hood. And it worked out for D-Wade. You know, he had his family there, all that other shit. But I'm going to give my thoughts, my own speech about D-Wade. I mean, wasn't his slow getting fall eight times, get up nine? I think that's what it was. Dwayne Wade was an expert at attacking the basket. And he attacked the basket a lot like AI too, but, you know, AI ain't have Dwayne Wade's bounce. Like that 2006 finals, you know, a lot of people were discrediting Dwayne Wade's 06 finals because of all the calls that he got. But he attributed that to his skill set of learning how to attack the basket. More so than the Mavericks getting cheated out of the, of the NBA Finals because they were up 2-0. And I remember them talking about like a speech that Pat Riley gave. And then D-Wade just put the team on his back. Now, don't get me wrong. The role players around him wasn't that bad. I understand it was an aging Jason Williams, an aging Gary Payton, an aging Alonzo Mourning, an aging Shaq, an aging um, Antoine Walker. I said him, right? Aging Payton, Mourning. I get it. A young Udonis Haslam. But D-Wade had a legendary 06 finals. Crazy. Not to mention, once LeBron took his his uh, talents to South Beach, you gotta realize D Wade is three and two in the NBA Finals. A lot of people forgot. A lot of people forgot he taught your king how to win championships. And Wade said that he learned from LeBron. But I'm just saying, don't forget about the influence. And then he had like an NBA fraternity of niggas around him. He had Bob McAdoo. He had Juwan Howard. He had um, Morning Shaquille, Pat Riley. I'm not going to mention Stan Van Gundy. I mean, D-Wade was nice enough to mention him, but fuck Stan Van Gundy. I just wanted to just say that because... Fuck him as a coach. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. But anyway, back to the bullshit. I see why Wade Rock braids his last NBA season. <laughs> but um, Dwayne Wade is definitely easily a Hall of Famer. It's not even close. He's the probably the third. And yeah, he's the third best shooting guard of all time to me. I mean, he has the championships. He has, now he's in the Hall of Fame officially. He's one of the best to ever do this thing, uh, this thing called basketball. 
So congratulations to Dwayne Wade on going to the Hall of Fame. You did that shit, sir. Now let's move on. Hey yo. Next up on the on the on the block is my dog. One of my favorite players to ever do this thing. My nigga, the man, the myth, the legend, Pal Gasol made it into the Hall of Fame. Much deserved. I think he definitely deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. He was a great number two to the Black Mamba. He was a decent number one on his own team. Now, Pal, you know, he talked about his upbringing. Obviously, all of them did. <laughs> On what made them love the love the game, and he was presented by Tony Kukoc. Very interesting choice. I truly believe if the Black Mamba was still alive, I feel like Kobe and Kukoc would have presented him. That's just me. Um, but Tony Kukoc was his inspiration. You know, Tony Kukoc won three championships as a member of the Chicago Bulls. Lefty, he was, you know, Tony Kukoc is in the Hall of Fame now. Yeah, I, I, I like, I like Kukoc. Kukoc was cold. Love Tony Kukoc. But P also, of course, talked about Kobe and his wife. His, you know, and he talked about playing against his brother, Mark Gasol, who I feel like maybe in a few more years, maybe a decade, he'll probably be in the Hall of Fame. Could be sooner, you never know. Just depends on, you know, the fucking um, criteria for the Hall of Fame has waned over the years, but the Hall of Fame got this draft class completely right. But Pal Gasol, my thoughts on him is he's the perfect Robin to Kobe. Like, he, his name will forever be synonymous with the Black Mamba. And winning those championships in 2008 and 2009. And he thanked all of his teammates, of course, as he should. They're all responsible for him winning a title. And Pau Gasol's skill set offensively was amazing. He got dunked on a lot, but it's okay. But um, it's just him and Kobe's chemistry was insane. And then the fact that Kobe spoke his language to him, you know, just the fact that that chemistry will forever be noted in our minds was a great thing and then he thanked every team that he was on him going against his brother in the all-star game was a classic and you know him and mark were the first brothers that were traded for each other according to Powell. so the grant brothers were never traded for each other horse and harvey Gerald and, and Damian Wilkins were never traded for each other.
out to Paul Gasol. Congratulations, brother. You definitely well deserved. And pal, you deserved a top 75 jacket. They snubbed you on the top 75. That nigga's a top 75 player. I don't care what no one says. Next up on the list, this dude definitely deserving. And I'm going to say this. This is the greatest international player to ever play basketball. Dirk Nowitzki is now a Hall of Famer. Dirk Nowitzki, man, he had it rough coming up, man, because, you know, he was an international player, but he shot threes. But lucky for him, according to him in his uh, speech, he credited Don Nelson for taking a chance on a seven-footer that shot threes. And then he completely reminded, and he was presented by uh, Steve Nash and uh, Jason Kidd. Shout out to Jason Kidd, but fuck Steve Nash. Give Kobe, give Kobe his two MVP trophies back, nigga. But anyway, <laughs> um, he reminded us about those ugly ass haircuts that Nash and and Dirk had when they were both drafted. <laughs> I remember that they were in the same draft. God damn, that was some crazy shit. They both looked like Justin Timberlake. That's what that's the uh, that's the shit that the white boys was into back in the day. They had that Brian Austin Green shit, you know what I'm saying? With the dye in their hair, <laughs> that was classic. You know, it took a while for Dirk to adjust to the NBA, but once he got a hang of it, it was over. Now Dirk brought up multiple times about how bad his defense was, but for the man to admit that shit. That's that's even crazier. And shout out to his beautiful wife. Golly, she still look good, boys. Well, shout out Dirk White, man. And um, his sister. Or was it? Yeah, I think Dirk's sister played ball too. Yeah, man. Dirk was a was a problem, man. Especially, we all know what Dirk's name is synonymous with, and that is the 2011 Finals, where Dirk took old ass Jason Kidd. He took little JJ Barea. He put the little man on his back. Pause. Right. He took um, Deshaun Stevenson, Sean Marion, with a lot of uh, with a. Uh, with a lot left in the tank, right? He took, um, he put the team on his back with the flu. And D-Wade, ironically, and LeBron were making fun of him. And D-Wade was the main catalyst. And Dirk was like, oh, these niggas is fucking with me. I'm gonna fucking cook these niggas. Dirk admitted to not liking everybody that, that was in this class because they competed against each other. Insane. And Dirk went on a magical playoff run. He beat some fucking Titans that year. He beat the Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge um, 
Portland Trailblazers. He beat the Oklahoma City Thunder with KD, Harden, and and uh, Russ. Then he beat the Los Angeles Lakers in a sweep, the defending champs. And then they went on to play the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals and beat a super team. That had to be probably the best playoff run in NBA history. Had to be. And not to mention his great offensive skill set. Like this dude really had a guard's game. So, shout out to Dirk Davinsky. Congratulations for getting into the Hall of Fame. Last but totally not least, this is somebody, well, not last, but um, I'm going to save the best for last, though. Next up, I feel like this player deserved an a, a, a NBA 75 jacket. This is another guy who I feel like is underrated. And let me tell you something. I did not like him. I couldn't stand him. I couldn't stand, I couldn't stand his teammates. I couldn't stand his team. I always thought that the NBA was cheating for him. Every time they would play my Los Angeles Lakers at the time. Detroit Pistons. But Tony Parker was inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame. Much deserved. I feel like Tony Parker is underrated. I think he's a top 50 player. You want to know why? I mean, he's won four championships. He's got a finals MVP under his belt. I know niggas is probably say, oh, man, not enough MVPs, not enough all-star games. I get I get your uh, perspective and points. But goddamn, he's a proven winner. He stood toe-to-toe against all of the great guards of that generation. He stood tall against them. You got to give Tony Parker some credit. I couldn't stand little-ass Tony Parker. I just couldn't stand him. The way he just finished at the rim, I was like, how the fuck did he make that? And he would tell his story about how he didn't think that Tim Duncan liked him. But Tim Duncan used to shoot him a look that scared the shit out of him. And that was when he wanted the ball. (laughs) And he didn't know what the fuck that meant. But then once Pop gave him the opportunity to start... It was on like popcorn. And he talked about how him and Manu kind of took a similar journey together. And they grew together as teammates, as international gods. This is another international player that doesn't get enough love. I think Tony Parker is a top 10 point guard of all time. I don't care what nobody says. And this is a person that I legitimately hate. I hate Tony Parker. 
I hate Tim Duncan. And I hated Manuel Ginobili. Like, fuck all three of y'all. For those memories of beating my teams. It was it was she fault for leaving Ori open. But fuck that. Fuck the San Antonio Spurs. Like the players. And fuck Michael Finley for leaving and going to win the ring. Yes, you deserve the ring. I give you that, Finn Dog. I'm happy. Michael Finley was mentioned twice in the in the Hall of Fame speeches, but um Damn. You jumped ship a year too early because the Mavericks ended up winning the championship in 06. And Tony Parker said about how his whole motivation in 07 for winning the title was Michael Finley. And then they beat Braun in them. Yeah, man. My homeboy told me today. He said to me today, it, it was cool when LeBron was beating up on the Pistons. But when it was San Antonio, it was he's young and he doesn't have enough help. That is kind of funny that now that you think about that. But Tony Parker is underrated. Definitely deserved the NBA 75 jacket. I just want to say congratulations for, for making it into the Hall of Fame. And fuck you for all the L's. Fuck you. Like, sincerely, fuck you, fuck Manu, and fuck Tony, and fuck Tim Duncan. Now, last, <laughs> I know y'all niggas is like, man. <laughs> if you know me, you completely understand me. Last but not least, though. A legend was inducted in the Hall of Fame. A legendary coach. And this is a person whose offensive IQ I respect. Because I like the way that he set everything up to move. He gets a lot of hate because, you know, he just happened to inherit a team that was already good, but they missed out on David Robinson. Now, do I feel like this person is overrated? Just a little tiny bit, not by that much. I mean, he's proven. He's got five championships of his own. But Greg motherfucking Popovich was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Much deserved. Much deserved, in my opinion. You know, he was what many considered the guy that was responsible for five of those championships. I mean, I feel like Duncan was more so than anybody. Despite my hatred for Tim Duncan, I rank him in my top five. So, I don't hate the nigga that much. But Pop, his offenses were poetry in motion. Now, don't get me wrong. I might have hated the Spurs, but to watch how their offense worked was a thing of beauty. Because their ball movement was unlike any group, any team that I've seen in NBA history. And, you know, I one thing I didn't know about Pop was, number one, I didn't know that he was a student of Larry Brown. Didn't know that. Number two, I didn't know that he actually tried out for the Denver Nuggets when he was 26 years old. Didn't know that. 
And then <laughs> he lost the final roster spot to David Thompson, who was a legend. So, and somebody I think is a top 100 player, I think. He was nice, though. Fair. And they told him, it was like, you belong, you belong with a suit and tie. I mean, you get, you get a David Robinson who got hurt, right? During the, uh, I think it was the 90, what year was that? Had to be the 98 season, if I'm not mistaken, because before Pop came around, you know, it was losing a lot in the playoffs. And the Spurs needed to draft somebody that could put them over the top. And they happened to get the number one pick. They happened to, like, you know, David Robinson kind of, like, cheated and sat out the whole season with that injury. And they ended up getting Tim Duncan, and the rest is history. And Tim Duncan pretty much shaped that whole franchise. Him and Pop and the combinations that they used throughout the years. You know, these dudes made did make the playoffs, like, what, 21, 22 straight seasons in a row? That's a crazy accomplishment right there. Within itself, the Spurs pretty much modeled themselves as, you know, real professionals that can give you real success. You know, they always got made fun of because they wasn't like flashy or they didn't necessarily like celebrate like other teams. But Greg Popovich, definitely one of the 10 greatest coaches to ever do this thing called basketball. And this story was definitely interesting. The crazy part that Larry Brown mentored him and told him that, you know, <laughs> you're better off as a coach than a ball player. That speaks a lot of volumes to what geniuses see and other potential geniuses. And Popovich offense was just nothing short of basketball beauty. Despite me disliking the team <laughs> in its highest. So Greg Popovich, congrats to uh, you for making the Hall of Fame. And good luck on the next season with your new talent, Victor Wimbiyama. Now, that is my show for the day. I want to thank y'all for checking in and fucking with me, you know what I'm saying? This is King Known Uncensored. New Music Fridays, Hall of Fame, and I'm out.